I'm Jamie Baker. I'm Sarah Matthews. And this is Nurse Coffee Talk. Welcome. Welcome. God, you think that we rehearsed that. I know. It was pretty solid. I swear solid. we didn't. <laughs> I swear that was... We've just been doing this for a year. Yeah, exactly. Aw. <laughs> Happy <laughs> year officially. Happy year officially. I can't believe it's been that long. No, Anyway, neither. we hope you all enjoyed our anniversary episode and our favorite stories. We had really great numbers on Friday, so I'm guessing that you did. Yay. <laughs> We have a lot to get to today, and we have a really fun topic that we'll get into shortly. So, well, first of all, Sarah, I have to tell you a story because you, in particular, are going to appreciate this given your passion for murder. Oh, yeah. I know. You know, pre-2020, that was not a thing that you wouldn't hear that as often. (laughs) A passion for murder? A passion for murder. She doesn't have passion to murder. No, for murder. Wait, did I tell you about the detectives that came to my house? Recently? Yeah. No. I'm on the phone with my sister. My doorbell rings. And I'm like, that's probably one of my five billion packages that come. (laughs) God bless Amazon. God bless Amazon. And I open the door and there's two men in suits standing there. Men in black. And I was like, Hello. You're like, are you Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> I mean, they, that's how it felt, except they were older. So this guy, and he had like, he was like mustached and looked, they looked very serious. And I was like, uh, okay, hello. You know, and he goes, hi, I'm Detective So-and-so from the city name police department. Mm-hmm. I am wondering if you have access to the footage of this camera. And he pointed up to the camera that's above my door, my front door. And I said, mm-hmm. I don't, my landlord does, but I, I don't personally have access to it. I do have, like, I can see the the footage of it um, as it's, like, live recording, like, in the back here. And he goes, okay, well, can you maybe, like, give me his number, reach out to him or something? We're trying to see if we have any video footage of the stabbing that took place out <gasps> back. What? And I was like, uh, sister, I have to call you back. <laughs> like, I'm hung <laughs> up the phone. And um, I think he said stab. Now I can't remember. It, was either st- it may have been shooting. It may have been shooting. So I was like, well, come on in. And like, they can, you know, we have a camera out back as well, but I don't know. They, I think they were trying to capture like if he had, if the person had run in any yeah, direction, sure. obviously. Uh, sure. But I hadn't heard about it at all. And like, I live like in front of like my, my main street, but then behind me are all these like alleyways and all these like kind sure. of intertwining alleyways. Mm-hmm. But it's like a, it's like a bougie area. So it's not something that happens that often. So I was kind of surprised that I hadn't like heard about it or nothing had come of it at all. Mm-hmm. And so I gave my landlord's info and they were like looking at the cameras or whatever. And he was like, okay, thanks ma'am. And then they left. And I was like, but no, wait, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't you want to establish a timeline? <laughs> don't you want to establish a timeline? Don't you want my number to reach back out to me to tell me how it goes? Don't you want don't to give you me your card? Don't you want me to testify in court? Don't you want to call me in to be an important eyewitness to nothing? Please, <laughs> sir, please. <laughs> and then like that, they were gone and my dreams were dashed yet again. Did they, so they didn't give you a card. Did they flash badges? They did. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, like, what if they were, like, the murderer just, like, trying to conceal <laughs> evidence? Trying to find out. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just being like, how do we get access to these cameras and delete the footage? Blah, blah, blah. They did show Sneaky badges. Criminal. They looked very cool. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, listen. So I arrive in New Orleans. We get off the plane and we're our Uber driver is taking us to our airport or to the hotel. And we're sitting on the street approaching canal street where our hotel is located and all these sirens are coming through and my uber driver's like oh jesus and he's like looking and he's like pulling forward to try and let the person go through but then they need to go where we are so he like guns it through like a red light (laughs) and like makes like a crazy left-hand turn and people go crazy when a siren's because they don't know where to go or what to do i know exactly so but i'm looking out my right hand window And there's, like, all kinds of police and emergency vehicles there. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? 
So my husband and I get out at our hotel and we check into our hotel and we get our suitcase upstairs. I'm like, you want to go walk down the street and see what's going on? <laughs> and he's like, it seems like you do. And I'm like, I definitely do. <laughs> like 100%. Like we need to be there. He's like, I love that. Well, it seems like you want to do that. I guess whether or not I want to is irrelevant. <laughs> yes. Like 16 yeah, years right. of being with me. You yeah. Know me. Okay. <laughs> so let's go. <laughs> so we get out and we go walk down the street and... There, I mean, there are tons of police everywhere, and we see the yellow caution tape. Like the area is cordoned off, oh, geez. and the, like all the news reporters are there, and they're interviewing people. And I'm like, "What the fuck happened?" And I'm looking, like, trying to see if there's like bodies laying there or anything like that. Nothing really is happening. It looks like the scene is like calmed down, whatever. And the news crews start packing up. So we go down the street to lunch, and I ask them, "I was like, what happened down the street?" And she's and the waitress is like, "I don't know." And I'm like, oh, there's like police everywhere. It's like caution taped off and yada, yada. And she's like, well, I don't know. I'm going to take your order. Then I'm going to go find out. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let us know. (laughs) She goes, you know, 10 feet away to the register and she types her order in and she's talking to somebody who looks like a manager. And I see them pull out their phone and they start looking up and the girl's jaw drops open. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be good. It's going to be so good. Oh my God. So I'm like waving her over. I'm like, get over here. Tell me what happened. So she walks over and she's like, somebody got shot. And I'm like, what? Now, mind you, you know how much I love Starbucks. Uh Uh-huh. It happened right outside the Starbucks. Oh, man. It was pumpkin spice latte warfare. PSL, man. (laughs) So somebody was like, the pumpkin nitro brew is better. And they were like, no, PSL forever. (laughs) And they were like, I'm going to kill you You just haven't had the nitro brew made the right way. I've heard it's really good, though. I know I've heard that too. But anyway, I'm going to try it. So uh, so anyway, it turns out, so we were at the intersection when the EMS crews were coming through. They were just responding to it. Mm. And so the shooting was at like 1235 and we were like coming through the intersection at probably like 1240. Like oh, we, we like just missed it. And so yeah, somebody got shot in broad daylight right outside the Starbucks. Oh, geez. And I was like, well, welcome to New Orleans. <laughs> I mean, I'm, that hardly is the first. <laughs> That city, talk about liking murder. That's where you go if you like murder. Yeah, but it was like in French Quarter, like the well, area in broad that's, daylight, right? In a broad busy street, daylight, I mean, you know, that's like unusual. yeah, yeah. It wasn't like because I've heard that like once you get out of French Quarter, like there's an abrupt divide and like don't go to certain areas late at night and you know whatever. But I mean, this was twelve thirty-five in the afternoon, so that's wild. Anyway, I know. So that was how my trip started. Anyway, that's a good start. I know. Right? I was like, we get to see some action. And it ended actually, it ended. We were actually at um, one of the airports connecting flights home and we're sitting in the Admiral's Club and fire alarm goes off and like everybody's kind of looking around, but nobody's moving. But it is clearly Typical. a fire alarm yeah. going off because well, I think everybody's like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, well, that's weird do, in an airport. This... What do I have to exit and then go back through security? No. Oh, my God. Could I'm you not... even imagine? I'd rather burn to death. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'll take my chances. <laughs> So the airline people come through and they're like, don't worry, everybody. It's okay. Okay. All right. So everybody's like, okay, back to reading my book, whatever. And then I see all the fire trucks and EMS crews coming down every runway, like coming towards where we're sitting. And I'm like, that's brave of them. Do you have the right to drive on a runway when you don't know what's happening? They're the airport EMS. Oh, the airport airport fire department. Yeah. So like, yes, they actually do. (laughs) Can you imagine just like a random fire truck? Just like racing a 747 as they're going oh down God. the runway. That's that sounds like a movie to be made. Speed three. <laughs> Speed three. It sounds like a Nicolas Cage movie. Oh yeah. I've never seen one. <laughs> so anyway. So they're like converging toward like on our window where we're watching. And I'm like, oh my God, they're like coming where we're at. And my husband's like, they have to respond even if it gets even if it's a false alarm. And I'm like, do they though? Like if they call it off? And he's like, Yes, they have to investigate. Yeah. I'm like okay so all of a sudden like all these firemen and ems crew come like busting in the admiral's club oh, Jesus. And like, so that's how my that is how my weekend is not relaxing <laughs> you're like man i'm an emergency responder in life i'm an emergency responder on vacation i hate oh this. my god i know that's annoying but still it's super annoying i hate everyone so much <laughs> on that note let's get into that's the a podcast. sweeping declaration <laughs> People make me hate people. They do. 
Okay. So we have um, an Instagram question. Okay. It's a good one, I think. Oh, I can't wait. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to move my phone. This is from C. Hi, Sarah and Jamie. I've been a listener to Nurse Coffee Talk for a long time now, and I absolutely love the podcast. Mm. You guys have made me laugh through some of the hardest times while I drove to work during COVID, anxious and afraid. But now I need your opinion, and don't hold back, which I know you won't. Never do. Never do. Won't start now. I'm a float nurse, and at our hospital, the float nurses are paid an extra differential. When nurses who have home units are pulled for one shift to another similar unit to help out, they are not paid this differential. Now that our contract is expired and the union is back in negotiations, the floor nurses are demanding the float differential when they get pulled. Many of the floats find this slightly offensive as we went through a much more intensive orientation and training period to take all kinds of patients. And when a nurse is getting pulled from another unit, they're most likely getting the medical patients rather than patients that may fit into the unit's specialty, while a float would be getting any assignment that the normal nurse would get. I can't wait to know your opinion on this one. Please don't hold back if in telling me like it is if you think that I'm wrong. Hmm. That is a head scratcher, see? I have opinions for I, sure. I have opinions about it too. You want to start? Um, sure. you want me to start? I'll start. So okay. it sounds like the differential that the float nurses get is not a huge amount because mm, I feel like- We it, can't make that judgment. I mean, I guess that's true, but like they get an extra differential, it sounds like, whereas- so probably base pay plus plus a differential. I sure. don't think that floor nurses who are pulled to float should get the same differential at all. And your rationale? My rationale is that the exactly kind of what she said of I, I and that now this is only going to be based on my judgment of what it was like to float at my hospital when okay. I when I was bedside. You do go and get some generic assignment. You they are they tell you when you have float people or not float people when you have people from other units coming over to help they tell you to give them certain types of assignments whereas you don't have the same instructions for like a central staffing nurse and i also know that like you do it once in a while and so obviously it's miserable i can see why the money would make it better whatever fine but they only have you do it once in a while because people hate it so much the float nurses Mm -hmm. deserve to get that differential like full stop they do it's Mm -hmm. a hard gig and you know that they are going to units and getting the shittiest assignments and they've been specially trained to take all your specialty patients so they're basically qualified to be nurses on any unit they have a much larger skill set and i think they deserve the differential over the other ones yeah i actually i i agree with you completely i know love that i thought actually i thought i would feel differently because we had talked about this question a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and i thought i kind of felt a little differently at first that like okay i get it if you're floating off your unit maybe you get like a dollar differential or something but then i i really reread this question which is the added extra layer of the fact that they are union yeah. Which means that in their union contract, it stipulates that they may be required to float to other units. That's part of their contract. Uh-huh. Totally true. And then couple that with the fact that, yes, the float nurses, I mean, if what she's saying is accurate, that the float nurses have had extensive additional training in order to take any specialty patients. Mm -hmm. That's a huge difference Mm -hmm. in educational background and training. Mm -hmm. So 100%, the nurses who are float nurses should get a much larger differential. And I've seen it done where, like, your differential was dependent on how many units you could go to, you were trained on. Mm -hmm. So the more units you were trained on, the larger your differential. And that makes sense. Like every type of educational background or training you get, you get more, you get more differential. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a nurse who has a home unit, they're not specialty trained on any units. So the fact that you're needed as a warm body on another unit. That you would have gotten a brief orientation to and is intentionally similar to what you already do. Exactly. Because and they don't, don't want to give you another orientation. No, they don't. And I, like, I remember when I worked in neuro ICU. We would get floated to other ICUs. Like, if we got floated to CVICU, it wasn't like they gave us, like, 
like post arrest patients or LVAD yeah, patients yeah. or I mean they gave us like pretty run of the mill like vascular patients mm-hmm. you know right but they wouldn't give you like a fresh amp you know right. I mean yeah nothing that's too specialty yeah exactly so exactly what you're saying you know the other thing is being a float nurse is a different ball of wax because you never get to develop that sense of camaraderie uh, with your totally. unit yeah like, people that work on one unit, they have kind of, like, a family, right? You don't have the same teamwork when you're a float nurse. And no, you do, they you do don't. a lot of stuff. Then they have to feel bad every time they ask for yeah. help, and then the nurses are so snotty about it. It's like, oh, no. So, see, no, I think you're completely justified. You should get the float pay, and the other nurses should not. Because even if the question is, like, oh, well, the float nurses would still get it, we would just get it for that one shift. It's still a difference in skill set. And to your point, if it's worked into your union contract that you have to be flexible to float or whatever, you know, it's not in your union contract that every single person needs to be charged. That's something that your unit assesses if you're appropriate for, trains you how to do it. And then I didn't, I didn't work in a place where they gave you extra money for it, but some places do. And it's not a lot, whatever it is. Yeah, a lot of places do. But a lot of places do. You know, that's something that you have been specially trained for. Hello? So... If it's worked into your union contract that you are expected to float, I don't also need to give you incentive. Right. And also, I don't want to give incentive for people to not work on their unit that they're hired into so that you have people volunteering left and right to float and like having discrepancies with like, well, I'd rather float because I need the money. No, your unit needs you. And I don't want to hear your bitching about that either. So like, Mm -hmm. I just think it's a slippery slope in terms of what people think that they are this is so so rude but like kind of what they think they're worth mm-hmm. i don't know that you're going to another like yeah you're, but like to, like what you said you're a warm body to that unit mm-hmm. right they'll take anyone but then now they have to make you a, a special assignment that isn't too fancy mm-hmm. because and if they're nice enough to do it because like i mean i wouldn't give a fresh transplant to a, f- right. a random float nurse from another unit no you wouldn't I could give a fresh transplant to a csr nurse or what do we call us a, a staffing for all seasons or central resource or, or a float or whatever they call them like what, a, yeah, a, a float yeah. pool nurse can take anything. Right. Because they're trained to. Right. So, yeah. Nope. See, we're with you. We're with you. No no holds barred 100%. We, we both agree with you. Yay. Fight the power, see? Fight the power, see? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I liked it. Okay. I have a really quick ethical question for you. Mm-hmm. I don't think this will be a long one. So, we had a 94-year-old brought in... For chief complaint, chest pain. Patient arrives from home via EMS with third degree heart block. Patient had chest pain that woke him up from his sleep and they called 911 for chest pain. Upon arrival, the patient's heart rate was 20. So they started pacing him with a transcutaneous pacer, Mm -hmm. which obviously increases heart rate. Mm -hmm. Now, the ethical question is, he's 94 years old. Do you take this guy to Kath and put a pacer in him? Is he awake to give his own opinion? He was not awake when I saw him, but he, they had him like sedated because obvious reasons so i guess the question is ethically versus legally obviously you don't have the right to say what someone can or can't have based on how old they are right he could be someone who lives to be 104 and he gets another 10 years out of the pacemaker yeah and lives a lovely life who knows does he live a lovely life at 94 i mean some people do i mean whatever i don't know yeah i think some people do yeah i mean there's definitely a lot more mid 90 year olds rocking listen it out if he's 94 and doesn't have a pacemaker already he's already doing pretty good <laughs> fair enough but of course the higher risk of him going for a procedure obviously mm-hmm. is a problem but also ultimately if he doesn't get it he would die anyway so Right. It's kind of six and one half dozen of the other, actually, when it comes to making that, that call. It's like either either we do nothing and he's going to die or we do something. He might die or he might be fine. Yeah. So you say go for it. Put the pacer. Well, in. legally, you, again, you don't have that. You don't get to make a decision for somebody unless he's a DNR about right. what, in which case, of course, he has made his own decision. But about what right. we get to do to people in that way. Like if you're saving his life, then you're saving his life. It's like. Oh, should they have not have done CPR? Well, they have to. Like, they that's not choice. Right. You know, if you're sure. called and, you, and someone's down, you have to. And you're not dead till you're in the hospital, confirmed at X, Y, and Z. Um, I mean, you know that I'm team palliation. Mm-hmm. And I think that we should be aging gracefully and not doing extraordinary measures past a certain time. People don't really know what they're asking for. 
you know, I actually would love to get into the business of going to explain to people what these things that they're asking for really look like and really making sure that people understand when they say they want everything done, what that really means. Like, I think that there's education gaps in terms of like how we really talk to people X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, we had some patient who came in recently, 80 something, and they were like talking about doing a tavern and put doing this and doing that and X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm 80. Just let me die. I don't want to, <laughs> don't, don't give me a tavern. Gross. No. But you know, but 80 is like young. A I tavern is like, is. A TAVR has become, like, a really common procedure now. It has been. A lot of people do have complications, obviously, but... Sure. But, no, I mean... For those who don't know, a TAVR is a trans-aortic valve replacement. Yeah. Right? So it's not as invasive. So they don't do open-heart surgery yeah. to do the valve replacement anymore. Yeah. And they've got a... Pr- I mean, I think they've got a pretty good success, right? So Yeah, I think you know. so, too. But, you I mean, then you're on, like, blood thinners and, you know... Yeah. There's risk associated, certainly. Sure. And a lot of these yeah. patients come in without, on, from my side without adequate medication coverage. And then they yeah. have to be on these expensive blood thinners and things like that. And then that ends up being an issue on the back end, which are things that if you know you're coming in for a procedure, we should check before you come in. Hello. Oh, my God. It's exhausting. (laughs) But in terms of the 94-year-old, I mean, yeah, I think they should. I think they should do it. Unless he or next of kin can say definitively, no, you're making a choice of whether or not they get to live or die. And, like, we don't get to do that, unfortunately. Sure. Sure. But ethically, you say move forward. Yeah. Okay. What do you think about it? (sighs) My thoughts come down to would I want to would I want to go through that at 94 years old? I you know, it's hard to say because you're you think about like laying in that bed going if I don't do it, I die immediately. Right. And like, yeah, I mean, I think I'd be like, yeah, go for it. Try it. Because, like, it's one thing if my choice is to die at home in my sleep, which you all rudely interrupted me being able to do. <laughs> no, they did I'm not. Kidding. He woke up with chest <laughs> He pain. woke up and he and he, you know, he wouldn't have said people get scared, you know, and like he w- he knew something was wrong, mm. and so they called an ambulance. Not to say that he should have been like, "Let me just die, it's fine." But like people have done that. I mean, if they have like known medical histories and they're like, "Whatever, just forget it." Right. You know, but the choices for this case weren't "Let me die peacefully at home in my sleep." It was "Die in the hospital now or potentially die in the hospital later." Yeah. So Okay, later, I guess, buy myself a little bit of time and then maybe I get an opportunity to go home and be fine. Yeah, sure. Okay, fair. Okay, well, we have an email from a listener. Um, This actually came in a couple weeks ago, but we had some episodes planned already, so we didn't want to get into the email. But this was actually a topic that we had on our very original list of topics when we, like, started a year ago. Mm-hmm. And that is the different things that you can do with nursing, right? So this listener wrote in, this is from A. I've been listening to your podcast since the very beginning and love it. Thanks, Aww. A. Uh, as somebody who is getting a second bachelor's degree in order to become a nurse, I appreciate the frankness of how you guys talk about healthcare. Sometimes it seems nursing is sold to people through rose-colored glasses, but I want to know the good, bad, and ugly, and I feel like you all help with that. Well, thank you, A. Thank you. That's our goal. Yes. So she is currently a teacher. Oh, God. Good for you. I know. Bless your heart. So she has two semesters left in her BSN. She's doing it in the evenings. Mm -hmm. And she says, I'm not 100% sure if this will be the right choice for me. But one of the things that really attracted me to nursing is the ability for both lateral and upward movement. In teaching, there's basically two avenues. You can be a classroom teacher for 30 plus years, or you can get a master's and be a principal or guidance counselor, both. And I'm not interested in either. Mm -hmm. So she says, anyway, one of the things I would like to know about are options for nurses besides bedside nursing. I'm 90% sure bedside nursing isn't going to be something I want to do long term. And there seems to be a lot of options that I'm unaware of. Mm -hmm. I know the basics like getting an MSN DNP and become an APP. But besides those, what common options are there? I've read about certifications, diabetes nurse educator, nurses doing insurance, and I just need a little bit more info on options besides bedside nursing. It's just so much. You're exactly right. First of all, great question. Love that you're brave enough to ask it. I know that a lot of nursing schools 
kind of give you the choices of either you can go bedside or you can come back and pay us more money and we'll teach you how to be an NP. Yeah. But then part of how they sell you nursing is the opportunities are endless. Right. But they never tell you what the opportunities are. They never tell you what they are. And then also you're shamed for not wanting to be at bedside for the rest of time. Well, let me stop on that for a second because... I think it's 100% appropriate that you don't want to be a bedside nurse for long term. That's okay. However, anything that we are going to talk about, you 100% need bedside nursing as your foundation. I agree. Because all of this stuff, including advanced practice practitioners, which we have railed about. With a, yes. Yeah. Like we just can't. <laughs> Uh, like, we can't talk about it anymore. Like, you need bedside experience because that will frame your viewpoint on all of the other jobs. Because any of these other jobs, unless I'm greatly mistaken and maybe we just haven't thought of it, any of these other jobs are going to be calling on you for your nursing experience. Right. Now, they'll say your nursing education, but as we know, you're not leaving nursing school with, with I mean, you have base knowledge. But until you've applied it, I just yeah. really am not impressed with, with that at all. Like, I just think you need to actually have nursing experience when you've practiced under your license, have administered your own meds, have done your own critical thinking, because that doesn't develop in school. Right. So until you've developed some of those things that are what nurses are known for and what they're actually asking for, you actually are not, in my opinion, qualified to do a lot of these other jobs. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest... Now, I'm pull I'm not pulling this number out of my backside, but it's a flexible number, but I would say any of the other jobs that we're going to talk about today, I would say you need at least 5 years of bedside experience. Uh, I don't agree with that. I think 2 to 3 would be fine for a lot of them. I I disagree. I feel like if you want to be successful, I think you have to have a really really solid foundation. But that's okay. Like I said, it's a flexible number and Sarah can totally feel otherwise. I think two is way too early. I think it depends on what kind of learner you are, I suppose. Well, that's sure. That's true. But like we've already established that like the first 12 to 18 months, you don't even know which end is up. Yeah. I mean, I think by 18 months, you probably should definitely have a better idea. But I mean, I think also like the idea that if someone really, really, really doesn't want to do bedside and they're can't wait to get away from it and they're miserable the idea that you need to be miserable for five years in order to have a non-hospital or a non-bedside role i don't know that that's reasonable i would proffer the theory that if you're going to be miserable you should not be in nursing school i don't agree i think that there's so many that is how they sell it to you there are so many different ways you can be a nurse that because I, I used to feel the same way. And like, I've just honestly, now that I'm in a non-bedside role, I start to appreciate how many different cool things there are to do. And like, I'm grateful for my background. It's important. I've also learned a lot away from the bedside that has helped me more than my, cause like, you know, say I, I worked on, I worked on my transplant med surge floor mm-hmm. and that's the only bedside I worked. Mm-hmm. I could have done that for 10 years and had a very, very good base but only mm-hmm. in that. So when I became a bed manager, all of a sudden it was not any, my knowledge about transplant was marginal. It, it, it was not necessary. It wasn't as necessary. I had to know everything else that I hadn't practiced in years that like I had to refer back to school of like, what is this neuro drain and what does this look like? And what is that? And X, Y, and Z. And I had to relearn all those things through studying and asking questions and, and just basically having, trying to have experiences to be able to navigate where people need to go in the hospital. And now I'm a case manager with heart failure. Well, my nursing background is not in heart failure, but I have the nursing Mm -hmm. education and I've developed critical thinking skills and things like that, where I've had to relearn everything. I didn't, my my med surge wasn't even a telly floor. So like I had Mm -hmm. to relearn everything when I came to this role. So I Mm -hmm. had a good foundation, but me spending 10 years, let's not be exaggerating, me spending five years on a kidney transplant floor doesn't prepare me better to be a heart failure case manager. So the foundation's important. The school is important. I don't disagree at all that you need to have bedside skills and you need to practice that under your own license and you need to develop those things. But I guess I'm saying like the length of time doesn't necessarily make that big of a difference. Agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. I mean, I didn't spend five years at the bedside. No, but you also, so you, 
Yeah, but you also can't say that, like, had you maybe moved from a transplant unit to a cardiovascular unit, that that wouldn't have made you But that's not what we're saying. Now, if we're saying in order to be (laughs) successful away from bedside, you have to spend two to three years in X number of different units, and here are the different qualifications we think you should do. Now, that's extremely specific, but that's a different... That's, I mean, sure, in theory, to be the most well-rounded nurse possible in the shortest amount of time, you should spend two to three years on as many different units as possible. But I don't think that's, I just don't think it's a reasonable expectation. Oh, well, that's not what I said. You're putting words in my mouth. Well, that's what you're saying. Like, well, of course my career would be different if I had spent three years doing kidney transplant and then three years doing cardiac. Yeah. But like, that's not, I don't know. I, that's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We're focusing on the wrong issue here because the issue is the jobs that people can do. I know. (laughs) So Sarah and I disagree about the length of time and that's okay. She feels two to three years is appropriate. I think you need five years. I know what kind of nurse, I know how a nurse changes at the bedside over time and I know what it has prepared me for and I'm basing my number based on my experience. Now, in fairness, I have worked on a lot of different units. I've held a lot of different types of roles and so my cumulative knowledge, you know, in my first five years is, you know, probably a lot higher than somebody who spent, you know, a few years on one specific unit. So my experience is very different than Sarah's. So the length of time, while we are obviously haggling about that, take it for what it's worth. The point is we both agree that you definitely need a solid foundation of bedside nursing before you're moving into these other roles. So to answer your question, A, what are some of these other jobs? And we have made a list. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. No, not by any stretch. And there are tons of nursing jobs in addition to these that you can get into, but we don't know what they are or how you do them. So we can't speak to them. (laughs) Exactly. So obviously you have your bedside, which is where we start. Then you have things like utilization review. And that is a pretty easy transition from nursing into UR. And typically in the past, the UR jobs have gone to like the more senior nurses who have been nurses for a long time. The bedside has, you know, worn down their bodies and they step away to do something that's easier on their bodies. Mm -hmm. Utilization review, maybe you're better to speak on what it is. Yeah, so that's half my job right now. Um, I actually love it. From a hospital side, so we'll talk about the insurance side in a second. From a hospital side, you are summarizing what we have done to the patient, like what they came in with, why it's serious, what is relevant information, and what have we done to justify, please give us money for this admission. Mm -hmm. And you have all sorts of different contracts with different companies, and there's all sorts of different criteria. Um, There's a program called Interqual which is this like kind it's it's loose it's guidelines but basic guidelines for what qualifies someone to be admitted to the hospital and what doesn't and what qualifies them to to stay and still be in the hospital and it's definitely guidelines because everyone's different they don't they are not firm about it but it does help guide a little bit some of the different therapies that you may need to be trying and to get reimbursement things like that so what i like about it is that there's a storytelling and a mystery component to it so I've learned, I started obviously in heart failure, learning how to do the heart failure ones. And then I work over time at my hospital to do it because Medicare requires that you have a review done within 24 hours. So I've learned how to do it across every patient population. And it's, I mean, it can be hard at times, especially when it's something that you're not super familiar with. Let's just say for admission, you're handed a patient who came in and you have to read through all the clinical notes and give them a quick Cliff's Notes version of who the patient is, what is relevant in their history, and what they came in with. You have to know off the cuff what lab values are abnormal and which ones are relevant. Like, you know, if your potassium's low, okay, I mean, sure, that could be for a variety of reasons. But if you're coming in with a certain diagnosis, it's going to matter more which ones, which lab values you include. So you can't, you're not copy-pasting the whole chart. You are summarizing. You're pulling relevant clinical data to summarize mm-hmm. based on the diagnosis of why this patient's here and what we've done and what we plan to do. Sure. And it's fun. I, I mean, I know that sounds so nerdy and so stupid, but like it genuinely is kind of cool. And I have actually expanded my nursing base, my knowledge base in a huge way from having done mm-hmm. it because I just am learning so much about all these different diagnoses and like what we do with them and what that means and what that looks like. Sure. Okay. And I'm just going to move us right along because we've uh-huh. got a lot to get through. 
Um, so the next one is obviously, like, we picked the obvious ones first, that ones that most people know about. So management. Well, well real quick, let's do the other side of it, which is oh, okay. insurance companies, That because that flows right next to it. The other okay. side of it is the insurance company where you receive that information and then have to go through you with your medical director and your own guidelines, if that makes sense for for the hospital to be claiming that and to be getting that reimbursement. Yeah. So that is definitely not, you're not in the hospital. You're working for, you're working an, insurance for an insurance company. company. Yeah. A lot of them are remote too, if that's something that's appealing to people. Yeah. Telecommute, work from home. Yeah. But I've heard like a lot of people get into that, but there's a, I mean, there's a push there to like not, not approve things for patients because obviously that saves the insurance company money. So you're, you're kind of working in the opposite direction. Whereas like a UR person is working to get things approved on the insurance side. Now, if I'm out of line and saying this, please write me in. If there's anybody listening who does this and I'm speaking incorrectly, please correct me. But I feel like on the insurance side, your job is to work kind of against the patient to save the insurance company money. Yeah. I mean, I've heard, I definitely can see that. I also get a lot of phone calls from the insurance reviewers saying like, hey, based on the info that you sent me, I can't get them to meet or be approved. Do you have any more information that I can use to get them approved? And so they'll work with me. Now, there's plenty of cutthroat bullshit out there, obviously, totally. And they can they can deny it. And like they deny it first on the nursing level. And then we escalate it to the MD level. And then my MD talks with theirs. Gotcha. Okay. But that's for sure true. I mean, everyone's out for the, the bottom dollar. So money makes the world go round. It certainly can be a point of like, I'm working for a company that ensures these people who doesn't want to pay you know obviously that's like nasty yeah yeah okay so the next one is management i think to work in management you at minimum have to have your bsn but i think most places are now requiring your msn Mm -hmm. or some master's level degree yeah so to get into management obviously there's usually a stepping stone process so you go from bedside nursing to either charge nurse or like assistant manager or nursing supervisor into the management role and then obviously you're in charge of the unit and the day-to-day operations of that unit so that that's pretty straightforward. Everybody knows what a manager is. The next thing would be like quality. So that is in the hospital setting where you're not bedside anymore. But I no, I don't work. Neither of us work in quality. No, obviously neither of us work in most of these other jobs. So we're going to tell you what we think they do. <laughs> so, so in quality, you're looking at like processes throughout the hospital and ways to improve things. Are the core measures being met. There's a lot of chart review, chart auditing. Mm -hmm. You're going back when things don't go right. You're doing like root cause analysis and things like that. And your goal is to meet these core measures of the hospital so that the hospital can get reimbursement from the government. So everybody has to meet these national standards. So your job in quality is one of the things you do in quality is to look at whether your hospital is meeting these standards and if not, what units are not, why are they not, and helping put plans in place for them to improve their measures so that you can meet all the standards. And then we have case management, which is a little bit different than you are. And I know you can speak to this. Yes. It's going to look different depending on, because there's inpatient and there's outpatient case management, obviously. For me and what I've seen, case managers in the hospital are pretty much glorified discharge planners. Okay. I mean, you have to have base knowledge because, again, you have to be able to glance at a chart and figure out what a patient needs. So you're doing a full assessment with the patient, but you also have to know what resources are available. You know, I can't offer you a bunch of stuff that isn't real. Right. And being able to see, you know, people are like, oh, no, I mean, I'm okay. And I'm like, well, do you have to climb steps to get in the house? Yeah. Have you climbed any steps since you got here? No. <laughs> you know, right. are like, can you get into your bed? You know, like all sorts of different things like that, which it sounds mundane, but also like the day-to-day things of people's safety at home are important. So For sure. beyond home care and infusion and all the stuff that, you know, TPN and tube feeds and, you know, vents at home and like, you know, oxygen, medical, like there's, there's a lot of different components to it. Mm -hmm. And insurance comes into play with that too. So what is covered and what isn't, what gets, what has co-pays and what doesn't, what, you know, what home care companies are contracted with which insurances, um, what insurance pays for in terms of medical equipment and different criteria you have to meet. 
and mm-hmm. getting those orders and things like that. So my job is technically called a clinical resource coordinator. Mm-hmm. We say nurse case manager because it's easier and that's what people kind of recognize it as. But we really do do that. We, we're we coordinating different clinical resources sure. and it is involved. It is involved. I believe that. It's busy. Yeah. It's a busy job. Mm-hmm. Part of it is just it takes so long to know what is available. Mm-hmm. And as a bedside nurse, we don't get told any about anything about that, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so then I started this job and had to be like, oh, <laughs> there's a whole world. And that's that's one of those things, too, where I think we really, really get tunnel vision in the hospital of like this encapsulates what is happening to a person when, in fact, it's a very, very small percentage of their life and their story is taking place in front of us. Most yeah. of it's happening at home. So case management comes into play when they're really trying to access resources for people whether it's insurance based or home care based or even community based and what's available you know there's lots of like ride share opportunities for seniors to get them to and mm-hmm. from appointments and like things that I always took for granted of like oh I always have I have a car and I have someone to take me places if I need to and I have money to pay right. for co-pays and things like that and right. then you encounter people that like they need different resources so it's sure. helping but people don't know what they don't know and they don't know what the what the options are an older person's not going to feel comfortable Googling things like that. You know, that's that's where we come into play. That was so yeah. many words. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so long winded today. <laughs> sorry. OK, so that takes us into there's a couple. I don't want to call these bedside. They're still patient care, which is like hospice and home care. Mm-hmm. So you can do patient care. It's outside of the hospital. And I wouldn't call it bedside nursing, but you're still caring for patients. And infusion. But there's also oh, and infusions. Well, and another one that I used to do hyperbaric. Mm-hmm. nursing oh yeah which is cool. really really cool yeah. yeah also pain nursing yeah so <laughs> lots of options for this <laughs> and ethics um, but I, there's so many things <clears throat> but i was gonna say with hospice and home care you have the patient care component but you also have the intake nurse side of it which is where you're really just like answering calls and like dispatching mm-hmm. appropriate people mm-hmm. so that is like non-clinical but you do have to have that clinical base. And then when I did hyperbaric, like I got to go on like oxygen dives with patients and like that was pretty cool. Um, I did that for a while. That's really that's, cool. Yeah, that's really a fascinating type of role. And there's not a ton of patient care. You're more there as like you're more there as like a safety officer for if a patient has some sort of medical complication, there's a medical staff member in in the um, in the dive tank with you, you know? So anyway, uh, so moving out of the stuff that's patient care, there are companies that are hired in by hospitals. Uh, we, GE healthcare is a big one, but there's plenty of others. They're, they're hired in to come in and consult with the hospital on processes, procedures, products, things like that. And they hire nurse consultants who then work with the hospital directly to find out the needs of the hospital, but it's no patient care involvement whatsoever. You're really consulting for what the needs of the hospital are. So there's that type of work. And it's cool, like project management kind of stuff too, where you get to be really thinking about what works and what's available and like how could things go better Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. another one is working for like the cdc the center for disease control you want to talk about that short briefly (laughs) yes there's consulting versions and then there's really like working on and this kind of encapsulates a lot of stuff that we kind of want to talk about anyway which is like research Mm -hmm. project management within that so like data collection and having a, a knowledge base of microbiology and different things like that Mm -hmm. that are applicable for diseases that are going to come through the CDC Mm -hmm. and then the public health side of it of outreach and resource coordination messaging and and then even consulting for the CDC themselves of like what are nurses going to be reading and hearing and like how how do they work so that we can make sure we're building tools for them that actually work for them Mm -hmm. which again you have to I mean you have to have a base of that to be able to advise on that one we didn't write down which that just reminded me of is like an IT nurse Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So working with your IT departments to develop all the software and workflows that nurses use. Mm -hmm. Again, you have to know the workflow to do it. You have to know the workflow, right. And then public health nursing in general, both on the governmental level, which we just talked about, the state level and then the city level. I assume, I don't know the ins and outs, to be honest with you, but I I have a cousin who works for the public health department of her state. It's a lot of like contact tracing for different things. Obviously now during COVID, they're doing that for that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you hear about STDs and and different things like that where you're 
trickling back of like who met who and who did they meet and then you know doing all that sure and speaking with some kind of medical authority about you know advising people what to do if they have come in contact Mm -hmm. different initiatives that they are going to deem important in the city i don't i assume the nurses have input of what that is but if it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they're getting high rates of like diabetes in our community, what kind of outreach can we do to try and help with that mm-hmm. um, in different programs? And, and like I said, messaging, I think, is crucial for that. And that segues into kind of like education, I think, mm-hmm. which that's another version of a way to apply education to it. Sure. OK. And then you have like, well, and this plays into it, too, which is healthcare marketing. Mm-hmm. So there's companies that hire nurses to assist with their marketing uh, for healthcare purposes. Right. I think that usually comes in more of like a consultant type of role. But there's also marketing within like the hospital systems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's an option too. Let's see. One of those companies that make products and need nurses to come in and teach people how to use the products. Well, so that's product teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of literally everything that is used in the hospital from like your monitors to your NG tubes to, I mean, you guys have all had these people come around to you as bedside nurses and they give out candy and they say, Hey, I need 10 minutes of your time to tell you about this new product. And yeah. you know, they show you how the product works and how to trouble. I mean, I've, I've had people like for IV tubing, IOs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When we switched uh, I mean, to all the Lurlock everything. stuff, they had to do a big thing. Yeah. Striker beds and yeah. like, I mean, everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they need nurses to do that. I don't know how you get into that, but you know, A, our writer is a teacher. So yeah, <laughs> that'd, that'd be, be perfect. Right up your alley. I mean, the other thing is you can just teach nursing. <laughs> so yeah, true. You got to have some experience for that. And of course you need a, well, I think to teach associate, you need a bachelor and teach bachelor, you need a master and teach master, you need a PhD, but um, you can teach the level below what you have. Mm. I don't know who's teaching the doctoral nurses. <laughs> <laughs> Other so, doctoral nurses, I'm sure. Right. So, yeah. so you can be a, a, a teacher that is a nurse. Clinical instructor, too, is a big one. Yeah, cl- for sure. Clinical instructor. And lots. they need lots of clinical instructors. They sure do. Oh, my God. There's no shortage of that. No, I mean, there is a shortage of that. No, uh, there's no shortage of job no shortage of a There's a huge yeah, shortage sure. of clinical instructors. Yes, for sure. Then you can, there's, people are getting into legal nurse consulting in mm-hmm. which nurses pair up with attorneys to provide their um their nursing expertise uh for many things like a lot of times they do like medical chronologies and timelines or they'll review charts to make sure that the standard of care was applied to the patient or they'll have nurses review the charts to see like is this a case worth taking on did the hospital do everything they needed to do or is there an area for, like, is this lawsuit legitimate type of deal? Mm-hmm. You can get into office management. So at, like, a primary care clinic or any sort of clinic setting, urgent care setting, they need nurse managers to come in and kind of run the operations of it. There's human resources. So a lot of times they'll have nurses pull into human resources because they know, like, what is necessary from a clinical perspective. Mm-hmm. And what's appropriate and um, nurse recruiting and things like that. Yeah, nurse recruiting. That was another one. Um, meaning, like, for agency nurses, you can get into nurse recruiting where it's more of, like, a commission-based thing. And on that note, if you want to work in commission, there's a huge market for medical sales. In Mm -hmm. which um, nurses move into medical sales to become proficient in one product line and then they're selling and maybe even pharmaceutical sales. You know, that's a that's not a crazy leap either. There's research. So they hire nurses to spearhead research teams and they conduct the research with the subjects and they locate the subjects and weed out the subjects and things like that. That is a really tough area to get into. It's a highly sought after job. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, so I'm not, I unsuccessfully tried to do, <laughs> to do so. <laughs> I've never, I've never tried, but if you can get, if you get offered a nurse research job, take it because they're really hard to come by. And it's cool to like, you, you know, literally doing clinical studies like with the FDA. Yeah. But Oh sure. my God, there's a lot of guidelines. Woof. <laughs> um, and then speaking of that, like grant writing, that's mm-hmm. a huge thing that nurses can do. Mm-hmm. And then we don't know how to get into this because if we did, we'd already be doing it. But media consultants, so like consulting for scripts for TV shows, movies, 
book writing, things like that, when they need somebody who has a medical background that can say like, yeah, that's legit or no, it's not or whatever. So if you can figure out how to do that, let us know. (laughs) Also, they clearly need more of them because I've never seen a hospital show where they haven't gotten something egregiously incorrect. (laughs) <laughs> for sure so nothing like an ng tube hooked up as an oxygen tubing and i mean right, all sorts yeah. of like the, I, my favorite is usually what they have as et tubes are always my favorite because you're like what? oh yeah what is this yeah i don't know nurse blake has a funny take on that like uh it's like a nursing and media type thing it's pretty funny and then the uh, the last thing we have on our list which is like i said not exhaustive list there's certainly other things out there is medical inventions so surprisingly nurses are well i guess it's not really surprising but nurses are like huge hugely involved in medical inventions because they're the ones using the products all day and they're like what that we can we need to make this easier yeah so they invent a new product and then they retire on that because medical sales are expensive so god that's the dream if you ever have the opportunity to like invent something on your own if you have that kind of mind you know there really is a huge market for medical inventions especially from nurses who use the products day in and day out so Mm -hmm. tons of things you can do not an exhaustive list we are way over time yeah we have plenty more to say about it unfortunately but um it's a good start at least to be like don't don't let them trick you into being that you have to work in a hospital for the rest of your life you don't have to yeah you definitely don't it certainly is the path of least resistance and that's the easiest job to get in nursing because bedside nursing positions are a dime a dozen and it's important it's important to get that background before you move into these other things because it's going to make you better at all of these other things Mm -hmm. and most of these won't even look at you as a new grad totally so and for the record if you want to do bedside forever that's phenomenal i'm absolutely proud of you i'm glad for you thank god you exist that's that's incredible thank you know Mm -hmm. that's who i want taking care of my parents that's crucial you know we're not trying to say that every single new grad needs to come out with a insert year number here plan of right sure of exodus you know that's but also with the way that they're generating into grad programs it's like come and churn out your year of med surge your year of icu and then go to crna school or go to np school Mm -hmm. or whatever like people are really kind of already doing that anyway so like i don't Mm -hmm. think us encouraging people to do the same but to not be an advanced practice practitioner i think that's fine yeah and if you want to be an advanced practice practitioner that's totally fine if you want to be a bedside nurse forever that's totally fine but if you want to explore the other areas of nursing that's great too yeah because nurses are needed all over the place Mm so all right well a we hope that helped you out and you can absolutely combine your teaching with your nursing and make a fantastic career but definitely do get some bedside experience don't just try to hustle into something else because honestly you will not be better off doing that yeah, you, totally. you do need some foundation. While we disagree on the number of years of foundation, you need some. Yeah. And we we do both agree it's greater than two. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we can sit on that. All right, everybody, you have a beautiful week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.